Good afternoon and welcome to Keys to Establishing and Maintaining Successful Vendor Relationships, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Proofpoint. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box and we'll take those later in the program. Just as you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Julie Bonello, SVP and CIO at Presbyterian Healthcare Services, Tressa Springman, CIO and SVP of Performance Improvement at LifeBridge Health, and Ryan Witt, Managing Director of Healthcare with Proofpoint. So it's a great topic today, and we're going to have a really fun discussion, so we're going to jump right in. Um, Julie, let's start with you. you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Uh, sure. Um, Presbyterian Healthcare Services is in um, New Mexico. We're the largest employer in New Mexico. We're um, um, one of the 10 largest integrated delivery networks across the nation um, with nine, nine hospitals, um, large medical group. And um, a very large plan with about um, 900,000 members and all the different products. Just a, um, um, our particular organization supports um, the New Mexico residents. So we are only a state of 2 million. And um, as we think about where we're going in the future, and I think this might be relevant for our discussion today, um, our payer mix is, um, is you know, really increasing on the governmental side. Uh, we have um, very large Medicaid population in the state of New Mexico, and our population is getting um, older and with a pretty much of a fixed population of um, just over 2 million. So that probably puts in context um, some of the um, challenges for an integrated delivery network uh, moving forward in, our, in the current environment and being efficient and yet growing. Very good. Thank you, Julie. Thanks. Yeah, hello everyone. And wow, Julie, um, that's a lot. Um, LifeBridge Health is in Maryland. We're 2 billion in revenue in an integrated delivery network. Unlike you, we have a lot of competition in the market. Um, you know, we'd like to say that uh, Johns Hopkins may be the best health system in the US, but uh, we happen to be the best one in Baltimore. So um, we share space with some or fantastic organizations that really are widely recognized. Um, we, as you know, the traditional statistics have five hospitals. We've got a lot of joint ventures and on the for-profit side, a lot of the other areas of the care continuum, um, urgent care, outpatient, um, pharmacy, retail space, life and fitness centers, um, but also the traditional mix. I think we've learned that we've got to be a little innovative and nimble, and sometimes that means we take different risks. So I think that'll play into our vendor conversation today, Anthony. Um, I apologize. I didn't update my title. Um, I actually am the chief um, digital and information officer. And I'm also, uh, I've got some operational responsibilities over our digital care center and our HIM function 
which I have to bring up this week because it, it's Health Information Professional Week. But um, thanks for having me. Look forward to any contributions I can make and certainly learning quite a bit from my co-panelists. All right, Tressa. Well, congrats on adding the digital uh, name to your title. Um, very cool. Uh, Ryan? Hi, Ryan Witt. I work for Proofpoint. Proofpoint is a cybersecurity company based out of Silicon Valley, um, around three and a half thousand uh, employees, uh, very focused on protecting people and how they work, um, recognizing that really today's threat vector has morphed or changed quite significantly from where we were, say, five years ago, where uh, cyber activity was really focused on penetrating the network or vulnerabilities within the network or, or you know, devices. Not that those things don't happen. Of course, they still do happen. But uh, we have seen that cyber criminals favor much more attacks on people. Um, it's a much uh, faster uh, path to, um, to success for them. So Proofpoint is focused on protecting how those people work, how people work. My role is uh, I am the managing director for the healthcare practice, which means I am both the megaphone internally, uh, trying to echo the sentiments and trying to uh, make sure we understand deeply the use cases uh, in healthcare and also the megaphone externally. And as part of that, I run the company's uh, healthcare customer advisory board. Uh, which is something we established in 2018. It's the only advisory board we have that is wholly focused on an industry. So we're really, really focused on trying to make sure that we solve for healthcare challenges. And this advisory board has been very instrumental in driving not only um, our thinking about what we need to solve for, but it's been very impactful in, in, in altering, amending, and adding to our roadmap. So to bring products to market that I think solves for some of the things that we we discover. Very good, Ryan. Thank you. All right, let's get right into it. I have heard CIOs say they group their vendors into different buckets, uh, strategic partners, tactical point solutions, how you do it. I don't, you know, it'd be interesting to hear from our panelists if they do something like this and how it affects um, the way they interact with vendors and and what their expectations from vendors. So um, I want to start with you, Julie. Do you have some framework that, that you use that separates vendors like this, strategic, tactical, or, or any other way that then allows you to uh, frame up those relationships? We do. Um, one of the, I guess where I would um, uh, characterize what we're doing right now is really on the strategic partnership ecosystem as we look toward digital transformation and it in not only in our plan but our delivery system and the provider payer integration um, what we're finding is our strategic partners are really getting um they're they're increasing um tremendously so we have a lot of um different partners that we're using to change our clinical delivery model. They have technical platforms. They are really becoming strategic partners. Um, and they may live out, a lot of the work may live outside of the traditional IT um, areas. Um, we also have it in the plan and we have it. So we have a lot of that going on. In addition, 
we are right now in the throes of putting together um, our hybrid cloud strategy. And that will allow us to also partner with a lot of additional um, IT uh, partners in addition to thinking about what we're going to do for um, our managed services within IT moving forward. And including in that is um, all of our security partners and um, uh, really also taking a look at how we now are increasing our work with DevOps. And that also is increasing the number of partnerships. So um, one of the things we've done as we look at categorizing our vendors a whole lot uh, differently than we have before because of because of the sheer number and the complexity of our partnership agreements is that we've really focused on defining um, service integration and management function within IT. Um, so lots going on. I probably spend um, uh, a a lot of my time on this so that we can make sure that we can help our organization be successful in all of our efforts. Um, and a lot of this is really on the digital transformation side. Julie, what do you, define strategic partner for me, if you can. Yeah, I would say that strategic partners are the ones that are very much involved now is we change our business model, whether we're changing the business model for, for care, um, which is probably the biggest area, care, our care delivery model. But within IT, it's really changing our, our operating model and our standard way we work um, in terms of managing our um, lower tech stack for all the different areas that we support. So it's in IT, it's really, again, changing, um, changing the business model in terms of how we've worked. And it's, it's, it's um, I find right now, the amount of change hitting IT is, um, is really huge. So it, my part, the, the way I would distinguish partners, Anthony, is I would say that they're the ones that we rely on at various points through those integrated workflows, whether it's changing our business model um, or whether changing uh, the delivery model within IT. Okay, very good. Tressa? I think Julie gave a really spot on example. You know, I think of this, it's funny. Uh, Ryan mentioned vectors, and I think he meant threat vectors, but I, I approach this from two different maybe vantage points or vectors. One is that um, what's important to the organization needs to be important to me, and that's not static, that's dynamic. So while I can talk about um, those few very, very large, deep partnerships we have that many organizations have, if they have an enterprise relationship for Microsoft, for CRM, for ERP, for, you know, EMR, um, certainly those are vast and deep. But to the very good example that Julie pointed out, um, this is a continual reevaluation based on where we need to take the organization. So the answer to that question becomes a really dynamic one. It um, depends on what's going on. If uh, you know, if we're knee deep in a data breach, the the attention and the focus, and perhaps who those 
um, important partners and partnership discussions are right now might be very, very different than if we're really trying to accelerate our digital innovation uh, strategy. So um, for us, for me, it's dynamic. And the real mystery trick and maybe secret sauce is um, figuring out how to make sure I'm apportioning my own time and attention to that. And in some cases, it's the little tiny nascent companies um, that our innovation group has brought forward that I'm sitting across the table from and not just the, the big guns, so to speak, that already have a consistent, valued and stable footprint in our organization. I also think another answer to that question really has to do with um, vendors who choose to partner differently with us. You know, there is a, a mindset difference between a vendor partner who's excited um, and can get passionate about shared risk and um, being very vulnerable to help you solve your own problems and do so in a way where they're willing for it to be um, less transactional and have their success be your success. So to me, some of that really has to do with the culture and the mindset of vendor partners. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that. So I mean, how do you decide when you're looking at a particular vendor or, or you're entertaining the idea of getting into a relationship? How do you decide if you want to go in and you want to be very transactional, you want very things very clear, or you want some sort of more nuanced shared risk type? I mean, does it, it depends on exactly what you're doing with that particular vendor and what you see the future as being with them. Just tell me your thoughts around that a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's really important, Anthony, at least from my perspective, that um, I don't want the audience to think there is any less value in those workhorse partners that day in, day out, keep our organization healthy and, and effective. They are equally important, um, but they may not be where I'm spending my time. You know, where, where uh, I guess what I would have to say is that um, the true answer is it depends. But whatever is strategic to my organization, where IT is an enabler, becomes strategic to me. And if there are commercially available products that can solve for this, then as we march down what's best for this organization, developing those broad relationships and and you know, having the right relationship with those vendors is incredibly important because it's strategic to the organization. Um, but the same is true with the organizational problems that we have that have not yet been solved. And there aren't necessarily traditional vendor partners for those solutions. And then I am much more in the discovery space, working with others to understand um, how we might solve for those problems when an obvious answer or vendor out in the industry does not exist. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Ryan, what are your thoughts on what you've heard? You know, I, I <clears throat> wanted to build on what Tressa just said, actually. Um, it's always interesting from our perspective, you know, being uh, one of those vendors who about how and how we approach or how customers approach us in terms of the type of of relationships they want to have. And it, you know, it varies quite significantly. Um, but we have found 
where organizations who want to partner with us and want to take a strategic approach um, and then essentially allow us to go what I would consider to be way beyond the normal construct of the contract. You know, the contract says ABC. It's going to say what it says, but but really you're you're working based on the relationship that's been established and that that relationship and that passion about trying to partner and work together, solve for the same problems goes way beyond what's written on paper, right? Um, and in one instance, I can think of um, where they really wanted our cyber tools to go much more deeply into their environment. Um, I'm trying to think, how do I say this? Like how I, so they wanted us to, to interact with their active directory essentially, which gave us a far greater insight into where attacks were, were occurring and much more insight about the types of attack, who was being attacked. Uh, and this would not necessarily be a normal construct that you would see in our contract, but it was the strength of the relationship that allowed us to get there. And technically it's easy to achieve. And in this particular instance, we discovered that there was a pretty bizarre, obscure part of their health system that was experiencing a very significant amount of cyber attacks. I mean, Candelio is a hospice organization, and we just would not normally expect the hospice organization to be under attack. Um, but it was because we had that relationship that allowed us to go deeper into their environment, we were able to kind of unveil this to them, and then it allowed them to go make some, put some controls in place and mediate very quickly against what, what we were kind of seeing almost in real time. And I think if we were to approach this based on a, just a traditional sort of partnership, partnership or vendor sort of um, vendor customer sort of relationship, it may not have got that level of integration off, you know, off um, right away, but by being able to build this more strategic partnership, um, I think both companies found a lot of value and, so I think we, that's where I, we try to strive to get there. It's not always achievable. It's not always practical. It's not always pragmatic. But that's, you know, I think when it really works, you're able to get to that true value add sort of engagement where both parties feel a lot of benefit. Uh, Julie, Ryan mentioned, uh, you know, the contract. And this is one of the things I struggle with when we when we come across this idea of sort of strategic partnerships and transactional versus something else, uh, which kind of Ryan alluded to with this deeper level of integration, this deeper discussion. You know, if we if we look at these key players that we're going to deal with and we say, there's going to be a lot of change here. This is a critical point of change in the organization. I need to spend some time on it. There is not an off-the-shelf uh, sort of solution here. So it's going to be more nuanced here. And I want this to be a very deep relationship. I don't want to be sort of, and I don't use the term nickel and dime makes sense, but I want to have a deeper, more open relationship. How do you do that with a contract? You need a contract in place to say, this is what we're going to pay. This is what we're going to get. We all know that's extremely important. SLAs, that's what it's all about. But yet when we talk about these relationships, we seem to allude to the idea that we don't want to be bound by our contract, that we want to go beyond it. Does that make any sense? And how does that play out on the ground? No, that makes a ton of sense. So part of defining um, service integration and management function within IT now 
um, again, we're doing this because we have so many third-party uh, relationships and we have to be able to provide um, the right support. They're a part of our family now. They're a part of delivering care. They're a part of our quality. So um, one of the things that we've talked about a lot about is defining that business relationship up front in, in terms of exactly what we um, what the partnership is, what we hope to accomplish, um, um, and defining really the um, the right operating model between the two partners. and and by and a part of that then will then feed into, our discussion about the contracts in terms of the services they're, go, they're going to deliver and how we're actually going to measure success as a, as a partner. So part of the opportunity for us has just been getting everyone very knowledgeable across, across the organization and across our teams to understand that in, in working on the contract, you're setting the tone for that partnership because you're really getting into um, not so much the legal terms, but you're letting your business relationship in terms of how you've defined it, then migrate over into specifics in the contract terms. And so to find vendors who are um, able to work with you on that in the way that you want to drive the beginning of your relationship, I think is really important. The other thing I just might mention is SLAs are hugely important when, when with new third-party agreements, but more and more within IT, we have, we have hybrid IT areas within our organizations. Um, a lot is, um, a lot of those areas are really foundational for moving in an agile way. One of the things you might want to do is, and, and, and the things that we're really looking at, is defining the operating level agreement um, so that within your organization, you can support um, consistent service as you define a new SLA with a new third-party vendor. So it's really, it's, it's really um, three-pronged, right, for the contract, both the contract, the SLA, and then also identifying the operating um, agreement um, if you have um, a hybrid area supporting um, some part of your digital transformation or your organizational strategy where you're leveraging technology. That's good, really specific information in there, Julie. Thank you. Um, Tressa, your thoughts on what Julie said, or you know, she mentioned this concept of the contract setting the tone. What are, you, what are your thoughts around that or, or anything else she said that you want to pick up on? I think the administrative elements of the contract are the baseline expectations. And it is rare that there is any strategic discussion, partnership, or opportunity uh, creation or visioning with someone who does not uh, fulfill kind of the stakes in the game that are reflected in a contract. So, um, Usually there's just transactional work that needs to be done. And that's how a relationship uh, is established. And then through that, either the vendor with we as a customer and something we bring to the table, or we um, kind of identify something that pleases us greatly about 
um, what the vendor's bringing to the table. That's the kind of thing that accelerates a more strategic conversation. And usually um, you start with a transactional piece of business anyway, and, and that's how you create a relationship where there's some respect that grows, both for you as a healthcare organization or a leadership team, a philosophy, et cetera, and, and the vendor in delivering services. So um, I think that administrative relationship is a baseline and it's mutual. Believe me, Anthony, and I don't mean this in a negative way. If I were to sit down without any contract in hand and talk to any vendor about my desire for a long-term, deep, broad <laughs> relationship, they're going to say the same thing too, even if they're selling paper cups. Well, so they, yeah, so, right. So a lot of vendors, and Ryan, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. A lot of vendors come in, they all come in and they want, they say they want to have a strategic partnership, but your point is very interesting, which, which is, no, that's not how we start. We start on, you know, can you deliver A, B, and C? Show me that you can, and then we'll go from there. So when they come in and tell you that they, they want to be your deep, long, and, and forever strategic partner, what's your response to that? Are you asking Ryan or me? I'm asking you, Tressa. I, I usually don't have those um, conversations. If but I, I, I reverse the table, which is, and I'll say it to Ryan, I know having been on in his seat before in a past life, they're customers you don't want to have a strategic relationship with either, right? So, so you got to have that like sizing of each other up a bit. Let's go to Julie. Julie, go ahead, Julie. Maybe your contract, maybe it gets back to your first question, Anthony, mm -hmm. right? It, it gets to the how you're categorizing your vendors because the way you work with them might for the transactionals versus a strategic, when you're mo really moving fast and you're trying to do something very innovative, that's a different kind of a, a process that you, that you might have from a transactional vendor um, uh, relationship. So it really kind of depends on the categories that you started with when you um, began the conversation. Yeah, Ryan, your thoughts, plenty here. Yeah, there's plenty to comment on here. Um, I, I guess from a vendor point of view, of course, we're going to memorialize every sort of initial engagement with the contract, right? That's 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 a those are table stakes. But the moment that is completed, and we got kind of legal sign off and all that, we hope we never look at that contract again. Like if we're looking at that contract again, we've had a fundamental breakdown in the relationship. Because if we're just trying to adhere to what has been written down as a delivery capability, then we have, we have not got to the point we want to with that, with that relationship. Um, so we hope to go way beyond that. And I, you know, I take on board uh, Tressa and Julie's point. Absolutely. There is, you know, a sales rep might start off with these grandiose plans that is kind of part of the nature of the beast, but you have to earn that right to go beyond um, your contractual relationship kind of every day, every week, every month, you know, based on your activity and your behavior. And I think also to Tressa's point, you got to find the type of customers who actually want and value that relationship. Not everyone wants that. Not everyone wants 
the ability to um, be a beta customer or to influence the roadmap or to understand more deeply the company's, the, you know, the, the vendor sort of philosophy so that, that they can think about that, how that interacts or that will play in with their sort of strategy going forward. So you, you, you don't strive for that sort of strategic relationship with everybody. It's just not, it's not appropriate, but we generally kind of, once we kind of get past that normal contractual relationship, I think we're trying to get to a point in showing where you can add value um, above and beyond just what it says on the, on paper. And um, adding value means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, some people just want, you know, to your phrase, nickel diamond, they just want the cheapest they possibly can at every moment in time. Others recognize that it's more important to feel like I can get things or I can get advice or guidance above and beyond what it says on paper. I mean, let me give you a great example of that. You know, and a great and a recent example of that. It's probably, I shouldn't say this, but I, it's probably not any one of our contracts to say that we provide guidance about what's going on and from a cyber standpoint in Ukraine and Russia right now. But we certainly have a lot of customers who say, hey, you have a pretty good finger on the pulse when it comes to cyber threat landscape. What can you tell us about what you see? So we have a lot of, you know, one-on-one -on -one or private briefings. This is not a part of the contract, but but we they value that and we have an, we have some information here that is that is of interest. So we try to get try to find where the value would be appropriate to to the to the customer, what like what what matters to them? And at this point in time, inside about cyber Russia from a cyber standpoint, values to a lot that that matters to a lot of people. And if you weren't held as a credible partner, Ryan, they wouldn't be asking you. That's one hundred percent correct. And generally, like the credible partner comes from, of course, your your contractual relationships, but it's it goes way beyond that. You know, just to add a little bit, part of the um, the emphasis on contracting, and, and I, I agree, it's really different based on the category of your vendor, but we have so many new third-party relationships that it's hard for all of the, the IT um, service owners to really understand the end-to-end -end what we're trying to accomplish. So I find that um, by rolling out a service integration function, it is providing them the, the understanding, um, including all the SLAs would be a part of it, so that they really understand what we're trying to accomplish. And, and so part of what I'm trying to articulate is it's, it's kind of, you know, educating everyone on, on a new way of working moving forward because it's moving pretty fast. And Julie, that gets to my point about what type of a partner do they want to be? Because I think when you invite them to the table and you're going through that end-to-end -end exercise, you're going to have some participants that are highly engaged and get it and, and really are willing to understand your bigger picture and their role, no matter how minor it is. Yeah. And then there are other people who are like, you know, I've sold this business. I really don't care you know, this isn't accretive to my commission. Goodbye. Mm. So, you know, yeah, some of key. it is just how they show up. Yeah. And I think vendors have to really, uh, what you just said, Trust is really key because I think vendors are, are, are also needing to change for, um, because of the, 
um, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the innovation and the, and the transformation um, strategies that are moving really quickly in health systems right now. So um, you make a really good point. Wow, lots of uh, lots of good stuff there. Um, all right, let's talk. We've talked about um, a lot of third parties, Julie. You mentioned a lot of third parties. Um, every vendor is another third party, and that's a possible point of risk exposure. How has this changed how you engage with vendors in terms of vetting and selection? Tressa, let's start with you on this one. Okay, so there's there's risk and there's risk. Let me let me start with um, at the end of the day, you know, my obligation is to make sure that we've followed a very thoughtful, thorough due diligence, and that if there is any technical risk, security risk, um, risk about the product or the proposition, that it's. Um, made very visible and countermeasures are discussed at the organizational level about that. So that's just a due process response. And I think that's what you're getting at here when you're talking about third party and risk, et cetera. Um, you know, it has felt a little awkward in these situations with when you mentioned third party risk that, um, and I'll, I'll bet both um, Ryan and Julie know this, when you get into contract negotiations, People are really clear about the risk they're not willing to take on. You know, you can use our product and if it hurts someone, we're really sorry, but that's on you. Um, th that happens quite a bit. And, you know, some of it is really just um, organizations protecting themselves. But there's also that relationship risk. And, um, you know, in, in our organization, I, I mentioned that we're really pushed to be innovative and nimble. Um, what I will say about vendor partnerships is you really understand who's willing to put their money where their mouth is when they're um, able to entertain a shared reward or risk. And now I'm talking on the economic side. You know, I, I can't compromise any technical risk given the, the hat I, I wear for our healthcare organization. But again, uh, on the terms of engagement, and the economics of the relationship, um, that's a whole dimension of, of new risk discussions that um, we have entertained and we have entered into with a number of vendors. And that usually is indicative of a more creative or strategic conversation. So I know I entered, answered this, excuse me, in two different ways, and I'm not quite sure which was intended here, but... Um, well, I'll tell you, Tressa, you make your attempt to clarify is a good point. And I've been thinking about this a lot. There's so many different ways to think about risk in a health system. Um, there's risk overall in the health system. Um, and under that umbrella, IT is one area, right? So there's, there's, there's general risk and then there's IT risk. And then, you know, if we talk about bringing on a software solution, you know, what is the CIO's responsibility in terms of all the types of risk that could come into play with that particular vendor? So you mentioned you have the risk of solvency. Is that vendor going to go out of business? Um, that's one area. Is that the CIO's responsibility or is that the CFO? Who's got to figure that out? Or is it your responsibility just to make sure the product works and that it works with other products and the technology stack and all that? 
And then you have that other type of security risk, which I'm sure Ryan will comment on. And do we pass that over to the CISO, right? So I'm the CIO. I, you know, it's like this cascade of risk that comes down and what falls into whose hat to deal with. So um, let me let me give it Julie a chance to talk about any of that. I'm, I'm going to probably throughout today's discussion focus on the strategic partnership category. Mm-hmm. Um, the speed of change right now is so enormous. Um, uh, sometimes for, for um, our teams, it's just to even know what's going on, <laughs> right? Because it used to be that we would know and it, we would have this um, very uh, strong, rigorous evaluation and selection, and it would be, you would be able to tick, kick the tires to know the risk. Sometimes we're not even there. And so one of the things I'm trying to do is to say, um, how do we now need to change it so that we can make sure that we can um, contribute to evaluating um, the, the risk, the technical risk, the security risk, and the, finan- the financial and the implementation risk, many of our strategic partnerships now are, now are coming with a new technology platform. And so those technology platforms become a part of our technology ecosystem where we have to ensure um, that um, risk is minimized with their technology platform, right? So there's a lot of implications that I'm sure Ryan would love to get into um, with respect to third-party um, risk. And so what I'm, try- I, I'm trying to figure out within our organization is how do we do that in, in, a, in a rapid way so we can safeguard our organization while still not encumbering them? Because the, you know, the, the word right now is we need to move and we need to move fast and we need to get things um, implemented quickly. And, and so how do you do that without um, imposing too much, um, too much risk uh, for failure? Very good, Ryan. I mean, yeah, I looked at this question more from a cyber risk sort of standpoint. And I was just interested to what degree a strategic partner can be at risk of losing their relationship, you know, based on their vulnerability from a cyber sort of standpoint. I mean, we now see quite regularly employees going through disciplinary procedures, including removal from the organization, if they constantly fall foul of the of the um, you know of their uh, cyber responsibilities within. So, wouldn't that same process apply to to a vendor, no matter how important that vendor could be to the success of the healthcare institution? I gotta believe that's gotta be something that's under consideration. Um, particularly when we see how active this threat vector really is now with cyber criminals, um, exploiting these relationships, trying to use social engineering to understand what the likelihood of those relationships are and how to go construct and, and draft and send compelling emails into the institution purporting to come from one of your uh, vendors, not much less one of your strategic vendors. And if that constantly causes a challenge for healthcare institution, I just got to believe at some stage, it's got to cost you guys to reassess to what degree you really want to partner with them going forward. 
Julie, do you want to comment on that? Totally right on, Ryan. That that I um, that's actually my question to you all to all of you, because I I try to figure out um, how do we establish the new IT and security safeguards in this rapid environment of change, um, where where um, we want to absolutely support the speed of transformation, yet we absolutely want to make sure that we can put in those controls to safeguard, to minimize the risk. And, you know, so how do you bet, how do you do that? Um, that's my, that's the thing I wrestle with because I don't, don't want the organization to think we're, we're not, we're going to hamper success. We're going to hamper growth. But I also, Ryan, don't want it. I don't want to then sever a relationship with a with a partner, um, and then because we're going to lose a lot of time um, with our growth strategy in that regard as well. So, Julie, you're asking about the sort of the third party risk assessment. How do you do that um, in a, at a high level, you know, with excellence to reduce risk while still uh, doing it fairly quickly? So the business isn't saying, "Why is this held up for two months?" And it, it and broader, right? In terms of the culture, in terms of our governance, like how do you how do you now with with how broad IT is and involved in so many things, how do you actually help the organization understand that you might need some additional controls while not hampering timelines too much, but but getting those now implemented because they might be broader than security. Tressa, let's have the answer. Drop the wisdom. I don't, I, I don't have the answer. I think this is the heart of the matter. I, you know, I think it's continual reassessment, but we're used to risk. Every decision we make has risk and it's just trade-offs. And as um, Julie has inferred, it's identifying a countermeasure or a control. It's, it's the trick is surfacing. Um, what is the risk? What's the probability of it happening? I mean, look, if you take IT security off the table, right, because I think we need to, specifically, Ryan, we go through a very extensive security risk assessment like everyone. There's a scoring of that. And if if the scoring comes back as anything less than low, we have a very specific set of conversations and either compensating controls or we walk away from it. So that's the security posture because um, that has become an area of risk that's not just um, a system downtime, <laughs> right? And we've all we've all been learning and growing in that area. But when you talk about just broader risks, um, you know, they take many, many forms. And one that Julie's bringing up is this speed to value. And the the reality here is, um, especially in a lot of nonprofit health systems, we don't have a lot of economic cushion for failing, but we do need to fail and we need to fail fast if we're gonna learn. And sometimes we use the word risk instead of failing. Um, but when you're in this quickly moving uh, realm of discovery, you've gotta understand your own organization's risk tolerance on the technology side. Some organizations have no problem because they um, understand that alphas and betas and, and innovation and bleeding edge 
mean there's going to be downtime and messiness and you're going to learn and get better. And there are other organizations where categorically in information technology, there's a complete lack of willingness for downtime or disruption. And it it really gets back to working with your executive leadership team uh, and understanding their predisposition or the organizational identification of where on the risk curve is uh, can IT be or this specific decision in IT. And you've just, you've got to be very intentional about it. I mean, look, most of us grew up in an, in an era where it was minimize downtime, keep things safe, keep things running, a very, very conservative posture. And now we're being asked to learn and adapt and innovate and do things very quickly. And those two just come in conflict with each other mm-hmm. all the time. So you've got to come up with a good framework, governance, and communication mechanism to point out when a decision or a partnership is different and how it's different on that failure or risk continuum so that you get an intentional decision from your leadership team on absorbing that risk. Well said. Ryan? I think they, I think it was well said and they covered a lot of the topic. I guess maybe back to just briefly to Julia's question of like, how do you determine where, you know, where some of these risks might be more prevalent and from a cyber sort of standpoint, I mean, not everybody in your supply chain is going to be treated equally from a cyber criminal. So there are attributes to look for in terms of who is more likely to be attacked. Those attributes tend to be who works in a vulnerable way. So who by nature of their job has to download files, has to go interact with third-party apps, has to click on links from, from your third party, who is perceived to have um, access to valuable data in the marketplace. So if you have access directly to passwords or to bank accounts, like that's those people tend to be more highly attacked or who generally has a higher profile. So if you have somebody in your supply chain who is very active on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, um, who has this kind of public persona that 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 a cyber criminal kind of can uncover. If you have those three attributes as part of your your supply chain, you pretty much bet that person or that, those individuals will be much more heavily attacked. So that's one way to maybe understand a little bit about how to how to mitigate against some of that risk. All right, very good. I have an audience question I want to I want to get to. So let me put this out there. When thinking about risk, do you attempt to limit the number of disparate vendors or do you look for the best fit for each strategic goal? I.e., do you partner with vendors that can help satisfy multiple strategic goals versus best of breed? Julie? Depends on the hybrid area and the strategy, right? Um, As I've said before, we've got a plan, we've got a delivery system. So there are many different avenues of the business. And I think sometimes they change and sometimes it makes it difficult because Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're a house integrated delivery network, you're really trying to support provider payer integration. So when you choose best of breed all the time, that may not work from a, um, an interoperability standpoint and to allow efficient workflows. So that's a really, really good question. Um, I, I, I would, I would say um, that um, 
um, I, I see it, it really it really differs um, across our organization right now. I would say, and I I think um, uh, because the platforms are really different, our platform is different in the delivery system than the platform that we have in the plan, um, and so sometimes um, it might be might make sense for them to be different in terms of um, best of breed or mm-hmm. yeah, but, but it makes it really difficult to, to um, uh, weave everything all together. Tressa. Yeah, that's, that's the right answer. I, I mean, some is cultural and some is timing. Um, I would love it if anyone could show me an end to end fully integrated single digital consumer solution in healthcare. It's very much akin to 20 years ago when we had a lab system, a pharmacy system, a radiology system. And and over time, they started consolidating and then it became integration and then it became singular. And now, frankly, EMR is almost utility. You know, it's just got to do what it's got to do. And we're off looking at you know, all the tangential things that can accelerate it or that are very unique. And some's cultural. Um, you know, I think from where I sit, fewer vendor relationships are always better because there's never enough time to show that mutual investment in each other. Um, on the other hand, they're just problems that are too important to compromise on. And that's when point solutions. And again, it may be cultural um, or it may be technical. Um, they win the day. And I think, the again, the reality as IS leaders and people get tired, especially in my organization, they get tired of me because they know I'm always going to lead with a governance response, which is um, very good question. And in <laughs> your organization, you need to have a discussion around axioms or principles or something that you apply to a situation to say, when is is kind of going outside of our standard set of vendor relationships okay? So it's not necessarily in the moment. You know, is that a discussion you can have ahead of when you need to enact it? Many of us have guiding principles that say, we're gonna solve, you know, we're gonna do a rule out of our key vendor partners before we go to market. And Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean we're not gonna go to market, but we've got a guiding principle that also helps us control that we aren't going to market every single solitary time there's a new whim idea or or interesting new product. Yeah, we all have guiding principles. It's it's whether you can use them in this fast-paced um, changing environment with many disparate areas moving fast, right? So yeah, so the governance is key. Ryan, anything you want to jump in on there? I mean, it's just a classic vendor consolidation question, right? So mm-hmm. uh, you have to decide, I think, in each individual sort of opportunity, whether it, it makes sense to stick with what you have or to bring on point partners. It's kind of like Amazon Prime, right? You know, can Amazon Prime solve a lot of your problems for you? Yes, they can. <laughs> but you might think, you know what? I still need Netflix, <laughs> right? You still- Absolutely, 100%. Right. You need them both. Um all right, we're almost out of time. I, I want to, it's usually where I give people opportunity for a last word, but I think I want to combine those two. So I want to make it a last word um, with this kind of thought in mind. And maybe Ryan, um, if you want to touch on another question I had was, what does it mean to be a good customer? Um, so let's take it from both angles. So 
Um, Tressa, let me let me let you go first. Uh, just an overall parting thought for your colleagues here. Over your career, what do you think's been the key to getting the vendor to do the best work they can for you? Tressa? No, look, I'm Were you I'm, thinking? That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm thinking about the question because I think as my peers here in the audience understand, um, at different times in our careers, many of us have been in each other's chairs. And I think it's the same way that um, peers who respect each other get the best out of each other. You know, open communication, um, really quick um, interaction to resolve mutual problems. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to assume that you know uh, that you can serve me well, but please know the same of me. Uh, don't sit me down and say, I'd like two hours for you to educate me on your organizational strategy when I know exactly what you're solving for. Um, and also, this is really, really important. Believe me when I say I will be in touch with you now that I know what you do, if there's a need, um, I don't mean that in a rude way. I mean that in a respectful way, not to waste your, your time or mine. And please don't believe that the best and most accretive discussion with our organization has got to be had with me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's only enough time in the day. I've got a very strong leadership team. And um Again, you know, at some point, I've got to trust that you're bringing to me the, the best and the answer that I'm asking for. Um, but again, please know that I'm going to take those steps too. you know, repeat knocking on the door for something I've suggested that at least right now is not a priority. Um, you, you need to hear me and you need to believe me. It's not going to yeah. change my answer. I know, Tressa, but you could just picture they have a sales manager that's saying, well, when's the last time you reached out to her? Well, when's the last time you reached out to her? So, but your your advice is very good. They need to, that's got, that's a cultural, organizational culture that, that has to be on the vendor side that will help them be successful long-term. Julie, your thoughts? I um, agree with everything Tressa said. Um, maybe uh, just I think it's really important to really actively manage your relationship in, in, in a way that your, your vendor um, feels a part of your team. Mm. And when they, when they know, even with the tough stuff, right? Because they know that you, you value what they do then. And so I think that's an important component of being um, a good, a good partner, a good customer. Mm -hmm. Julie, is yeah. that in all relationships or just your strategic ones? Cause I wouldn't know how I'd have enough time in the day to invite all of our vendor partners in, into that. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be just for me. It would be across all of it. I mean, we have a lot of transactional vendors and a lot of those core stable vendors, Tressa, but they're yeah. hugely important to us. They're our I bread and butter, yeah. you know, they're our zero defect vendors. And so throughout the IT organization for us to instill that, um, that active management with the vendor so that um, the vendor knows who the service owner is. And, and so they're, 
they're respected part of the team. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. All right, Ryan. So I'm going to give you last word. And my question to you is, um, what is it, what does it take on the customer side? You're a service provider. What is it that the customers need to do to allow you to do your best work as a service provider? I think uh, Tressa and Julie already kind of touched on this a little bit. We asked for, or I asked for transparency, like transparency, open, honest communication. If we have those things, we could have the basis for a very, very strong engagement relationship, even if it doesn't ever get to a strategic level. But as long as we, we know what you need, we can provide against that. And then we can find opportunities to enhance that. And then that might mature into more a deeper relationship. But as long as we're being open, honest, and communicated with each other, I think we're at, that's a really, really strong place to start. But Ryan, is, is it true? So from what you're saying, is it true that that doesn't always, you don't always get that? You don't always get that. There's an, inevitably there is that kind of that dance sort of that happens, right? Uh-huh. There that that we have to try to do our best to get past that, right? Yeah. And and you know to Tressa's point, it's like you know trust me, I now know what you do. I will contact you if I feel like you can maybe offer a point of view that I would value. So um, most salespeople would say, "Oh, okay, I still want." As you pointed out, I think I still need to find a way to sell against that. But once we kind of get into that much more transparent honesty and relationship, you can have a better sort of engagement. And, it's, you know, it's going to take, it takes time. Well, fantastic conversation today. We used about every second we had, and it was really wonderful. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. And you can go to our website to register for upcoming sessions. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel. Great discussion today. Julie Bonello, Tressa Springman, and Ryan Witt. And I want to thank Proofpoint for sponsoring and making this important conversation possible and our attendees for joining. But with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you.